said in 2006, professional climber Madeline Sorkin fell 50 feet to the ground in Red Rock, Nevada, when a rappel anchor failed. Yeah, I think I learned a lot from that accident was formative, actually, in terms of resilience for me. Mm -hmm. Hi there. Welcome to the MindRamp podcast. I'm Michael C. Patterson, co-founder and executive director of MindRamp Coaching and Consulting. I'm excited that you have decided to join us for this podcast because it means that you recognize the importance of keeping your brain healthy and your mind well-managed. A strong brain and a sharp mind are the foundations of your personal happiness and well-being, and MindRamp Coaching and Consulting is dedicated to helping you achieve these goals. In this episode, we're going to explore some difficult topics with a friend of mine who has gained insights about the workings of her own mind by hanging out on the sides of mountains. Madeline Sorkin was gracious enough to climb down from the mountains, find a spot with an internet connection, and spend time with me in a wide-ranging Zoom conversation. I wanted to um, establish your position as a world-class climber, and I know you're shy about this. Anyway, I found something, a little paragraph said, in 2006, professional climber Madeline Sorkin fell 50 feet to the ground in Red Rock, Nevada, when a rappel anchor failed. Like any climber would, she carried physical as well as mental scars from the accident. It was a long, tough road back to feeling like herself again on the rock, but Sorkin persisted, going on to become one of the best big wall free climbers in the world. So that's cool. It establishes that you are <laughs> one of the best big wall climbers in the world. But also it gets into that whole topic of resilience. Yeah, I think I learned a lot from that accident was formative, actually, in terms of resilience for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe for one of the first times in my adult life, I was 24, it really brought up what am I doing? What beliefs and scripts am I participating in that aren't working for me? Um, mm -hmm. And what actually is going to need to change for me to continue to love what I love, which one is climbing. And the other was really learning to be in a more honest relationship with mm -hmm. myself. Um, you know, I have more conditional kind of less and less conditional love for myself, sort of that maturing process as an adult. What does conditional love for yourself mean? Uh, very much tied with achievement, for example. Oh. So learning to decouple achievement from my sense of well-being and worthiness in, in the world or in, my, in myself, perhaps, even more yeah. in the world. And I, I think um, at, at that age, my life was going to continue fairly narrowly around climbing. Um, and I learned, nonetheless, that there was going to need to be some shifts for me. One, mm. one was the way that I approached climbing, simply. Um, I really intuitively had to be able to expose myself to those risks again in climbing Mm. I realized that I would have to create environments that were more of like an incremental process towards being able to tolerate that risk again. Mm. So, 
Yeah, that involved hanging anchors um, and getting pretty detailed there. Of Okay, I'm safe hanging at this anchor. I know that intellectually. And actually, a lot of fear is coming up for me that used to not come up for me. And right. in order for me to be able to do this craft anymore, I'm actually going to have to invite that in and be real about that happening to learn how to be with it. And I think one of my approaches was a form of exposure therapy of hanging at those anchors, imagining my body falling when the anchor would fail, like what Mm. happened in the accident that occurred as the anchor failed. And so I'd imagine how my body would fall and essentially just fall apart and die. And yet I would be having actually a physical also experience of being held and safe at this anchor. That exposure to the great fear while being safe um, was really important. Did you actually relive the experience of falling or, or was it more a mental construct? Yeah, it was more of a mental, emotional construct. I mean, I'd have, I had more falling dreams for a while. So I was certainly working through that experience. Um, and I don't discount the dream world of that. Um, in terms of learning more now, I didn't know then that there is some evidence for if you're intentional with what you are dreaming about, um, ah. you, can, you can lessen your PTSD symptoms. So for whatever intentionality there might have been in there, those recurring kind of falling dreams did dissipate for me. The symptoms dissipated. With the intentional dreaming, what was your intention? Did you intentionally want to dream about falling or did you intentionally want to feel safe or so that's a my that's in hindsight me reading some literature about ptsd and some dreaming studies so i can only say that i was being intentional in my waking life and then the falling dreams were occurring and they lessened so whether or not i actually did any kind of symptoms in my dreaming i'm not sure or were you suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome? I wouldn't have meant to call it that then, but absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like getting into a situation would trigger all of the emotional stuff that... Yeah. That- it was specific to climbing mm. for me. Um, but I, I did break down and cry a number of times in situations that before would not have elicited that. While you're up on the rock you were and climbing, you would break down and cry? That must be dangerous. <laughs> You know, climbing is is a really slow sport overall, um, which is part of why I've liked it so much. So you're constantly making decisions of when to step into that terrain and what that's more committing or when not to. And so Mm. you actually have a lot of space. So I could stop and hang at a piece perhaps and cry. I might not be, I was never crying while I was physically moving up rock. Um, so you're hanging there sort of secure and wherever you're resting. Or paused, yeah. Paused. But I've processed a lot of emotional emotions while climbing or at a belay, hanging out. There's opportunities there for reflection when you actually are physically quite safe. Last fall, I was climbing this difficult route and... This thought popped into my head right in the moment that like I'm the was the most insecure in a mood <laughs> and like and really didn't like the fall potential, even though it was mm. safe, but like you still never really enjoy falling unless you're, you're <laughs> in it a bunch. So I really I didn't want to fall to do this 
uncomfortable, difficult move. And this thought pops into my head. You could just go home and snuggle. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'd been working with these sort of thoughts for a bit. So I was able to like (laughs) presence it in that moment. And I love this just for the sake of doing this. Like I want to be in this experience, just Mm -hmm. doing this experience too. So you can go home and snuggle soon and like be <laughs> yeah. here now, like be in the commitment of this. And that, that activity of being committed to what I'm up to then in the moment is such a, such a wonderful thing to have, you know, have a passion that helps you practice that. Um, right. right. And that's been really more, more online for me of what I'm up to with climbing of, of really continuing to hone that that skill for myself throughout my life of putting my best foot forward when I am climbing, bringing what comes up that day to the table when I mm-hmm. go climbing. I might have a more fearful day. I might have a more exuberant day one day. I might be more sluggish one day. Really learning to bring that more because I have such skill and practice around this thing. I can, I can, and I can adapt that day to it. Right. And it's a more, you know, it's a more inclusive space for me now. One interesting thing was the aging piece for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being less narrowly focused on climbing like i think of aging as a broadening more experience and um so i i enjoy being in partnership i enjoy other purposes other work purposes other social engagement other ways that i want to be in the world and so those are those are asking for my time as well was in the REI article 2017 as being this really difficult year for you. Uh-huh. A lot yeah. of a lot of tragedy. You okay yeah. talking about that? Yeah. Yeah, for me 2017 was really the um was the the fall was when I started thinking about forming some sort of program like this one. In August, I was with a really my good friend Kate in the Wind River Range. We were climbing, and there was an accident in there. And we heard the person who survived the accident calling for help. And she she had self rescued essentially, and um, she found us in this other uh, group, and we were able to call a helicopter in and um, thankfully didn't have to help with the body recovery. But we walked out with her and she had received this grant from this national organization um, called the American Alpine Club. Um, Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of money of, hey, we're excited about what you're doing with your climbing. They're called Live Your Dream Grants. Have a great trip kind of thing. Like people people submit a trip or something they want to do and can receive a bit of funding for it. So this accident happened on that trip. She was climbing with a new partner and that that started my thinking around, you know, where responsibility lies in our community, where there could be leadership around this and thinking about 
possibly a grant that um, it's more like a mental health or therapy grant for individuals when they are impacted by an awful event. And so I started talking actually then with, I knew the CEO of the American Alpine Club. So I started talking with him about that idea. And then Hayden Kennedy and Inga Perkins, um, Hayden was a friend for a long time through climbing and they ended up dying in an avalanche. Well, Inga died in oh. an avalanche. The two of them were skiing and Hayden took his life that night. Um, and that was in October. Because yeah. Inga had died? Yeah, she was the love of his life. And he searched for her bot. He searched for her, he tried to rescue her with his beacon and probe. It was just the two of them out. And um, he ended up committing suicide that night before like nobody knew about it he went home and wow. uh, yeah really devastating um and what that example points out is it you know so that it's there's this ripple effect of the of the grief yeah and what this i think what being in this community has really highlighted for me is that ripple effect and those those degrees of impact. Um, so even if somebody didn't really know Hayden, uh, mm-hmm. they might have been really impacted because of who he represented as this incredible climber and incredible person. Mm-hmm. He was he was he was quite well known, and how that connects to them with their climbing identity and possibly other identities that maybe had some overlap with him or his parents, you know, he was a right. he was their only son. Um, mm. And so perhaps the person's another community member would be really impacted that way. Thinking about um, that risk that their kids in and much we love and support them. And that really out of, out of your control. Yeah. And then the, the week after that, actually, my friend and climbing partner, Quinn Brett, she, she took this fall on El Cap um, in Yosemite, um, a fall that most people would not survive. And she somehow survived it um, at the expense of her back. And she severed her spinal cord. Oh, right. She was paralyzed from the yeah, waist so down. Yeah, she was paralyzed from around her belly, button down. Hmm. Um, and, you know, talk about an individual who, to me, lived 90% in her body. So, like, thinking about the devastation of right. that. Um, and mm-hmm. Quinn's, Quinn's experience is, like, the horror, right, for a climber. Um, so there's this kind of, like, don't even want to look at it. The number of people in the climbing community that, I've heard say I would rather die than be paralyzed. Mm. It's huge. Like it's a very narrow way to treat ourselves. Yeah. So those, those are really the series of events that led me to getting more real about starting something like this. I had a dark winter, I would say. And then um, really the starting point seemed to be kind of support we could be for each other when tragedy due to our sport occurs. What's the name of the foundations? Yeah. So it's not a, so it's not a foundation in oh, that okay. it's a, 
it's now a program at the American Alpine Club. It can be uh, donated to directly through the American Alpine Club. What's it called? The Grief Fund, or it's called the Climbing Grief Fund. Climbing yeah. Grief Fund, right. and so it it resides at the American Alpine Club, and I directed, and uh, uh, my friend Skyer Denny is the therapeutic director. Yeah, we give grants. Then we have this story archive project. We're about to do another round. We are mm. endlessly postponing with COVID. And then now we're going to do a bunch of remote interviews. Hannah made a film from those first round of interviews. Mm. Uh, but that's about 20 minutes long. And that's free on our website. And cool. um, that is a compilation of some of the interviews and archival footage of some of the people who have passed who are being talked about um, and really trying to focus on the collective experience of grief and loss and bring it on any one individual. And then Sky does a number of workshops and outreach post-incident. Oh, working specifically with people who have gone through some kind of an accident. Yeah. So we'll do customized workshops and then we have some set in set in writing uh, that are one is actually fostering resilient and the other is grief and loss trauma topics and psychoeducation. And those are offered to groups and also to companies. And we're, we're kind of finding our way with where those um, are the most useful, but we do, um, we do those at certain events and then have been hired by some companies for those. And then we have resources online. We have a directory that we keep updating and some psychoeducation resources mm-hmm. and some videos on there. Yeah, that's the bulk of it. Keeping Great. this conversation going and building alliances with AMGA, American Mountaineering Guides Association, for example, who we're working with, and hopefully they'll be doing their own grants soon. So just just being a resource for other places too. Was part of it just making it okay to talk about grief? Our timing happened when our culture was already there. It was ready to talk about it. Um, Maybe 10 years earlier, it would have been even more awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a lot of people who came forward who wanted to share their stories with our story archive project that we began mm-hmm. really early on of doing these interviews with individuals about the impact of grief and loss in their life and right. how they've integrated those experiences. Um, and that's that was a great way to start talking about it, getting the word out more, normalizing, destigmatizing. And that was already happening in our community. There was, so there was a lot of receptivity to it of just, yes, we really need a place for this. And likewise, the grants, um, these therapy grants that we set up that are, you know, they're small grants. I mean, they're $600 for individuals to um, put towards a therapeutic framework of their choosing or to a specific therapist. Um, but there are therapists who are working with individuals, you know, on a really sliding scale, um, format so they can get a lot out of those grants. Um, there were a lot of people who wanted therapy and cost cost was a barrier. Um, I think also the, Hey, we have your back as a community has been a big deal for people and like, Oh, should I do it? Should I not? Yes. Look, all these people are doing it. We (laughs) encourage you to do it like doing this in our community and here are therapists who 
you know, have some experience with our sport, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that has been a really helpful directory for people using the grants or not. Um, just taking some of the work out, I think, for um, our community that's still making it more convenient um, and accessible. I mean, my hope for the organization is that we're getting we're going to get to broaden into more mental health conversations, um, you know, including this aging piece um, right. and including things that need more visibility in our community. And so that's part of, yeah, what motivates me too in the work. Well, many thanks to Madeline Sorkin for being so open and generous in sharing her insights with us. And thanks to you for sharing your mind with us for this half hour. The mental stimulation will make your brain a smidgen stronger and more resilient, and hopefully you got some ideas about how to manage your mind more effectively. To learn more about the MindRamp approach to brain health and mind management, check out our website at www.mindramp.org. And from our website, you can schedule an appointment with me or my colleague, Roger Anjanson. We would love to work with you or your organization to develop strategies to ramp up the strength of your brain and the power of your mind. Okay, take care of that lovely brain of yours. 